Hello and welcome to the Motor Mouth Podcast with Harry Benjamin and Tim Sylvie. This is the place where we meet some of the biggest names in and around motorsport, chat about their lives and everything in between. We've partnered with the Brain Tumor Charity, a cause that means a great deal to me personally. And thanks to our partnership, we've been able to create a short series of special podcasts uncovering those within the motorsport community who've been affected by these devastating diagnoses. You can hear my story as well as the Williams Formula One team's planning director Richard Jones now with more to come. Also, if you feel like getting involved further, the Brain Tumor Charity is running the Conquer the Challenge through till May, a virtual fundraiser for those fitness inclined and there's a leaderboard. So if you're competitive, this is for you. All the details are at braintumorcharity.org. Together, we can help every single person affected by a brain tumor. Now, as you know, without you and our sponsors, we wouldn't be able to carry on doing what we do, which is bringing you the biggest names in motorsport and delving into their lives and opinions this season we couldn't be happier to be teaming up with f1 experiences the official experience hospitality and travel program of formula one f1 experiences is the closest you can get to the pinnacle of motorsport and let's face it any chance to get close to Formula One this year, we're all over it. With F1 Experience's official ticket packages coming direct from Formula One, you can get unique access that simply isn't available anywhere else. For more information on how you can book your F1 Experience, visit f1experiences.com, where you can also save 5% on your very own F1 Experiences package by using the code MOTORMOUTH when checking out online. Good things come to those who listen to the MOTORMOUTH podcast. Don't say we don't treat you well. So what are you waiting for? The 2021 F1 season is set to be one of the closest in years. So get booking your F1 experience today with F1experiences.com. Hello, Tim Sylvie here. Now today we're joined by a man who has established himself as a global endurance racing star and has started following in the footsteps of his father with more than a touch of broadcasting know-how. He hails from the lovely British county of Norfolk, much like another of our recent podcast guests, uh, Jake Humphrey. And did you know that our guest's hometown of Kings Lynn unearthed from its town centre the bones of an 800-year-old cod, which measured 51 inches long, a veritable monster by today's cod standards, which measure a mere 18 inches. What do you make of that, Harry Benjamin? Wow, you learn something new every day. I've just spent three years of my life in Norfolk, having graduated from university there. So, uh, you know, and I didn't know that my entire time. So I'll be intrigued to see if our guest uh, knows that as well. I imagine, imagine they probably do. Um, apart from uh, learning about interesting Norfolk facts, I am fed up with my hair. Look at it; it's getting ridiculous. Yeah, it's massive. It's, actually, it's it's out of control. It's, it's not just big. It's not just big up there, like on top. It's, it's everywhere. You have a full-on afro. Yeah, 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 and I've never learned to get this long before. And I, I've sh- I, in lockdown one, I shaved it all off. I went, I went bald. I went, I had a Britney moment. Do you know what? Um, it's funny because when, when, sorry, when you listen to podcasts and you kind of build up an image, don't you, of what the presenters look like? Like when mm. before I started, before I followed Guy Raz on Instagram, I I listened to him on his podcast. He's got loads, but he's really good. And I built up this picture of him in my head, and he's nothing like what I imagined he he is in real life. I wonder when people listen to you, do they, whether they realise that they're listening to a guy that's got hair that's about the same height as his body. Like, well, I, do, you, do you remember, I, what was that guy, that rapper? Was it Ice, Ice Ice Baby? Who was that guy? What, he, Eminem? No, no, Ice Ice Baby. Oh, Ice, wait. And, and he had this like block on top of his head of hair. That's what you remind me of. So if anyone doesn't know what Harry looks like, he basically looks like that with really dark hair. 
You've never ever gone specific. This is the weirdest intro we've ever done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> let's, where, where are we? let's know. What do you think I look like? Let us know. Um, <laughs> Shall I introduce our guest? I think we better. We've been rambling for far too long. So today we're joined by a man who's found his way to the top of endurance racing via carts, T cars, Formula Palmer, Palmer Audi, that's a mouthful, F3, F2, and of course sports cars, even racing alongside his rather illustrious father at Le Mans. Talking of his father, Alex has started to follow in not only his racing boots, but his broadcasting shoes as well, with appearances alongside the highly rated Alex Jakes to commentate on F2, F3, and F1 TV. It's our pleasure to have him here. Alex Brandle, welcome to the Motor. Mouth. Hello, both. Thanks for having me on. Uh, yeah, it's been it's been interesting to hear your your opening. I'll have to b- borrow some of those lines. There's actually a a, a metal statue of that cod in, no. in the town square. No, there's not. You're right. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was uh, <laughs> I was thinking I was thinking Marge Simpson actually. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, brilliant. It's good to be on. Thanks so much for chatting to me. No, no it's a pleasure, Alex. Thanks for coming on. If there isn't a metal statue there, well, I think that's, that needs to happen. Whatever <laughs> uh, they did, I think they did build. Wasn't there an Alan Partridge one in in um, in Norwich? Uh, they built an Alan, Alan Partridge statue recently, I think, in the last year or something like that. But <laughs> there, there definitely, there definitely should be. There definitely should be. Oh, yeah. but um, anyway, aside from Norwich, it's actually, Norfolk's biggest export. Yeah. Uh, oh my God, it actually yeah. is, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. I mean, you think he's made them a lot of money. Um, apart from that, though, the Brundles have done pretty well for it. Um, how have you been getting on this last year? Your haircut's looking pretty trim, I must say. This is this is a, a mum special. Oh. I, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm very comfortable to, I'm comfortable to admit that. But, yeah. but my mother is actually, and she learned from YouTube, like a, you know, like a millennial would, which was, which was pretty cool as well. So she learned from YouTube and then she's one of those people that can learn something and she'll just do it. I hate those people. Yeah. Well, you know, the the people that can, you know, learn something and it doesn't take them any practice whatsoever. They can just then immediately do it. Yeah. And she she learned to cut hair. Chloe, yeah. my wife, cut my hair a couple of weeks ago, which she's done pretty well. But I, it's just that you get the odd stray, don't you? Like I've I've got a little bit here on the side, which is just longer than everything else but to be honest yeah. i think she's done all right harry just get one of your family members to cut your hair oh i don't trust anybody and after the britney moment last year i just i'm i'd rather hold out 12th of april i think isn't that when it's all okay i'm just gonna i'm gonna hold out hope and 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 hopefully that'll be right um but anyway hair done <laughs> hair done um alex you career go yes um let's <laughs> <laughs> let's start uh, from the very, very beginning, of course, take us back to when you were very young. Because actually, even though obviously your dad is, is Martin Brundle, for those who haven't put two or two together yet, um, <laughs> uh, he, he'd he left Formula One by the time, I mean, you were really young still. So actually, did that have much of an influence? Do you remember growing up much with that in mind? No. So, so Formula One, I missed a lot of because uh, he finished up F- F1 in 1995. Um and, you know, he did a bit of kind of testing stuff after that. But what I mostly remember um, of, of his racing is sports car racing, actually. The, the first racing that I went to of his where I was sort of old enough to be sentient is the Toyota Le Mans program. And I, I distinctly remember being there at Le Mans and enjoying it. And so maybe that's how I've ended up in a, in a sports car myself. Yeah. Did you um, did yeah. you did you ever um, w- w- <coughs> when we were chatting about Harry and I off air about about your life and and your father's career and so on? 
when you were little, do you remember, like I have this kind of romantic vision of the door swinging open in your house and in walks Hill and then Johnny Herbert comes over for a cup of tea and, you know, Blundell's there. Was it just a conveyor belt of amazing Formula One legends? I mean, if if our house was situated perhaps, you know, in Silverstone Valley, then it, then it might have been. <laughs> um, but where, where we are in Norfolk, there's actually no journey in the UK where you would travel through. Yeah, where I where I live. So we're we're very much out of the sticks, and and it's uh, I'm not now. Mostly I'm in mostly I'm in in London, um, just because of being a young person and having to see occasionally other people, uh, and and wanting to be connected to airports and so on and so forth. But my my mother and father have chosen to live in Norfolk just because they love it, just because they love the people, just because we love the people and the the environment here. And uh, but yeah, I mean. There were some amazing people uh, who, who came through this place. Um, I remember Colin McRae dropping in once oh. with a great big model of a five 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 Subaru, you know, and just and just plunking it down on the on the desk in Casually. the office and hanging out here. And yeah, just you know, whenever anybody was doing anything at Snetterton, they'd drop by and stay and that and that kind of thing. And it's something which you only really appreciate fully much much later on yeah. such as the misfortune of being a young person in that environment uh but the fortune that you that you get to be but the misfortune that you don't really understand the relevance of it all until much later on if you know what i mean yeah when when you were first starting though and then you started to, to like all racing drivers you, you tend to start off in carts how how was that experience you know were you racing against anybody we might know now and how are you was your was your was your family a bit worried about you going into racing, or were, were they quite you know encouraging of it? So my dueling partners in karting uh, were Tom Ingram from British Touring Cars. Yeah. Uh, I had some a lot of races with Jack Goff as well mm. from uh, British Touring Cars. Um, who else was going around? Was going around at the time. Uh, Ollie Rowland was bouncing around at yeah, the time as well. Marie, a lot yeah. You know, honestly, I I didn't do a lot of. I didn't do a lot of karting. It sounds really weird, but, you know, the contract between us, I mean, I, I went all the way through university education. I have a, I have a degree oh, wow. um, now. So I, I basically was, it, the education for me was enforced all the way through. Even, you know, I was doing my degree while I, while I raced in Formula 2. So um, it, it uh, where I would do sort of, say, 15 race meetings a year, um, you know, there would be there would be drivers out there doing 40. But, you know, I wouldn't have it any other way. I had a massive opportunity then when I moved into cars um, to sort of, and with a lot more experience. Like, we didn't really understand karting. Dad never did it. Uh, right. He, you know, he was a nutter in a stock car when he was <laughs> 12 and just didn't do, he just refused to participate in the traditional route. I mean, uh, the story of Dad's career is a, is, is really something quite special from kind of uh, driving a you know a car basically stole off his dad's forecourt around a dirt track in you know in pot row which is just <laughs> down the way from our from our place in norfolk to um you know to being in formula one and so actually the traditional route for him was something he found quite confusing mm. um because his experience was just nothing like that of you know say somebody like a like a Jean Alesi or a, or a Gerhard Berger who set mm. out to become race car drivers and 
and succeeded, you know. Yeah, it's, um, I, I think it's it's a lot of it's generational because we we had um uh, Mark Mark Blundell on on uh, last year at some stage, and and he was similar to your dad. You know, he he basically nicked Ferraris from the forecourt of his old man's you know place and and, and just tore around a field or took it around the roads and and, and that was his his uh, introduction to racing and he actually started on, on motorbikes I think so yeah. um, it's it's a varied way that people get into the sport I mean today it's very different isn't it young carters they start at like six years old and are spending a hundred grand a year before they're 10 and you know it just goes on from there um we, you did go into t cars though which i'm gutted is not around in this day and age someone needs to reinvent or, or rebrand t cars and bring it back just explain what that is for people that, that aren't aware of it and and what happened to it they were great they were like a it's like a silhouette i would describe it as a silhouette so it's a tubular chassis with the bodywork pinned on top and they had like a they had a two liter mountain ford engine in the front and uh, and five speed gearbox. You put it into fifth, it went slower. But they were awesome, <laughs> and they had they, they had a little bit. They had a rear wing which actually worked, and a little splitter on the front. And if you lost the splitter, that was obviously doing something as well because it understeered horrendously. Uh, four tires, which were basically the Formula Ford compound and specification, about nine hundred kilos, and they were such great cars. They were really were. So the op- the options at the time were that or a Ginetta or a Clio Cup car. Uh, and I didn't want to go, I didn't want to go down the route of uh, Clio Cup because front wheel drive was not kind of where I was going. Uh, and and Ginetta, uh, we just didn't really have the contact. And uh, Jonathan Palmer was going to go that way and going to, you know, bring Jolian Palmer through through that. And we kind of, you know, held on to the shirt tails and, and, uh, uh, and went in that direction. Great year, yeah. Couple of years of racing, actually. So cool. Honestly, I I think we should agree now that we we club together. And we 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 start two cars <laughs> again. I mean, like British touring cars is is feels like it's it's always been there. It's always been big, and I don't know whether it's just me, but I've become a lot more aware of it in the last few years. I don't know whether that's just situational or whatever. But people love British touring cars, and there's no sort of natural outside of sort of genetics and stuff like that there's no natural touring car progression like there is with f2 and f3 let's bring it back let's make it happen there's no, yeah. yes there's no road to touring cars is there no. it's all, all road to f1 but you can go and do clio carp and yeah. yeah but you're, you're right there's no sort of hard and fast mm. way to get into a touring car i mean but drivers come from all directions i mean you've got guys like uh, rob collard who would come through from you know stock cars and uh, and that kind of thing and then Andy Jordan, who went and did a little rally cross yeah. and came back, um, all the way through to Jason Plato, who basically got there by camping outside Renault until yeah. they gave him the drive yeah. back in the nineties. <laughs> so it's a it's a it's a cool it's a cool environment, um, but yeah, definitely not the, the way that I was going. I have I have actually tested a British touring car, um, but uh, yeah, only only for one day around Snap. Well, uh, was that recently or was that a while ago? No. No, no, no. I, I tested the Triple Eight Vectra. Uh, oh. It would have been well, the year after I did Formula Three in 2010. Uh, a guy called Ian Harrison, who's a bit of a bit of a touring car legend, um, invited me to come and test it. I did okay, actually. I did. I did all right. 
Uh, I was wiggling the steering wheel and playing with the throttle. I'm not sure if I was having any effect on, on the car. <laughs> uh, but uh, but I def- uh, it stayed between the white lines. So whatever I was well, that, doing... That's yeah. positive. You didn't, you, didn't, you, didn't, right. you didn't stack it into the wall like you did in, that, <laughs> yeah. it, in the wet at Snetterton. There's that YouTube video of you in one of the tea cars. Oh. And, and in your, it's wet at Snetterton and you just end up hitting the wall at pace. Yeah. So, so we, were on a, we were on a half wet, half... It was a one-tyre formula um basically for, for t cars and so essentially we have no wet tires per se so the, the concept uh was that um it's actually uh, the guy i miss i just miss in the gravel is actually my best mate now um so <laughs> he's, you can see we've got luciano Ricetta eventually became formula two champion yeah. a few oh, yeah. years later um you can see him getting out of the car looking over the looking over the back of you know the rear wing of his of his tea car to see me go flashing by and have a bigger accident in the same way but the tire the tire trend just filled up with water I went absolutely yeah, straight yeah yeah that was one of my bigger ones so I managed to get that camera position nicely as well didn't very I? good very <laughs> very well done yeah go and visit that guy in riches yeah well like. you you survived tea cars and you did sort of begin to make your way up the, the single seat ladder with sort of dipping your toe in formula three or as it was gp3 gp2 talk to us about your experiences with that because obviously it's it's transformed quite a bit now since since you were there, and and it's an, it's an interesting sort of path. Did you ever feel like you you quite clicked with these single seaters, and did you feel pressure on you almost because of you know you're you're a son of? Yeah, it was an interesting one. Um, I I didn't really I, I did click with several series of single seaters. I did. I, we must be the last generation of drivers who drove a single seater with an H pattern box, mm. you know, the, the formula Palmer Audi's had a dog leg H pattern gearbox, like an old turbo F1 car would have, which was a great, actually an experience I'm, I'm using again now. Um, there are, you know, I'm, I'm a late developer in driving terms, it's just the, the way I'm built. Um, and certainly I, I came into my own as I grew older and more experienced through my career. Um, we also always took the view that, Basically, there was no point in just blowing these vast sums of money to eventually gain a career where you would get a bit of it back. But if you've spent, you know, multiple, multiple hundreds of thousands, then you eventually get a job driving a, driving a sports car mm-hmm. for, you know, a few grand a year. Mm-hmm. Then what you've not got is a career. What you've got is a hobby over a long period of time. Yeah, absolutely. You know, very expensively. So, so actually... We were always extremely limited on the amount that we were prepared to to invest, which put me out out of a thing like a, a thing like Formula Three, you know, where really you had to be in a Carlin car to do anything good. Um, in a Formula Palmer Audi and a Formula Two car, that excuse wasn't there because all the cars were the same. But I just wasn't really ready to do the job um, until I jumped in a sports car and then just yeah. really took off yeah. to the point where I n- I now race people who you know booted me all over the racetrack in a single seater and we're nip and tuck which is quite a satisfying thing for me really yeah and as you say sports cars is where you really found your niche or niche as our american friends will say and um it was a it was 2012 when you made your le mans debut in an lmp2 car alongside your old man so what what, what was it like racing with him and and importantly who was quickest <laughs> 
he did a quicker time in practice. I did a quicker average in the race. So, yeah. so it's honours even there to just clear <laughs> that one out of the way. Um, he was still really fast, but he still is really fast now. I mean, he's like, I always say he's like Yoda. There's a particular scene in the Star Wars movie where Yoda you know, walks into a room with a stick, you know, kicks everyone's ass and then walks out with yeah. a stick. And I always think he's a bit like that. You know, you know what I mean? He kind of hobbles in on his broken ankle. Whilst put, <laughs> Does purple sectors and then leaps. It's incredible. Um, but uh, I mean, as, as late as 2016, he put a car on pole in a support race at Le Mans. And that's ahead of drivers who then became, you know, young works drivers two or three years later. Yeah, amazing. But, um, that was great. I mean, for me, honestly, I was more focused on the opportunity than I was on driving with him which sounds like a really strange thing to say but for me for him it was kind of this you know experience coming back to Le Mans with your son strapping him in for me it was an opportunity to do Le Mans for the first time and so that was most of my focus like I was really focused on doing a good job because I had this opportunity with Nissan engines to carry on and move forward which obviously eventually I did. First Le Mans experience though can can you prepare yourself at all because it Endurance racing and then your previous experience is all, you know, relatively sprint, single seat racing. Is there any way you can prepare for those long stints? I mean, there's nothing that prepares you for driving a racing car that fast at night. That's, yeah. the, that's the thing which really gets you. And I was blessed in that my first ever Le Mans was dry all the way through. My second Le Mans, rainy, torrential, really, really scary. My, my first one was dry all the way, all the way through. But... I remember coming in after my first uh, qualifying attempt. Now, because qualifying a car at Le Mans is brilliant. You have so much regulation, freedom, you know, and it really is computer game stuff, you know. You turn up, you put all the engine, you've got everything, you've got the minimum fuel in the car, you put all the engine absolutely everywhere you need it, and all of a sudden this thing just whah, takes off, you know, flash bulbs going from the grandstands. It's, it's proper. You tend to run kind of into dusk or... Or, or at night is the way that qualifying worked then. It's a little bit different now. Um, and so the first qualifying, because the air's cooler, the first qualifying attempt you do is in the dark, you know. And so you go out there, not only is the car going quicker than it ever has before, but also you're, you know, you're in the blackness. I think uh, Jensen Button said something like, it feels like you're going 3,000 miles an hour. <laughs> and you just do. You know how when you're on a country road and it just you limits yeah. the limits the viewpoint ahead yeah. and all of a sudden it feels like you're going incredibly quickly even though you're uh, you're not uh, well times that by 10 and it just feels monstrously quick do, do you, um, do you yeah. you know when you're doing that and you're you're driving at 3000 miles per hour in the dark <laughs> do you do you like when i'm driving i for a short period about a year i had a honda s2000 which is probably the most fun one of the funnest cars i've ever owned and when I first got in it and I went through the gears and that crazy Honda um, gearbox, I was like talking to myself. I was like, yeah, you know, you know, get, getting to a corner and going, oh, my God, oh, my God. Do you do that mm. when you're racing? Like, do you, do you chat to yourself when you're going at those breakneck speeds? Actively try not to, because mm. in the moment where you finish up having a discussion with yourself, you've already missed the next thing you need to be yeah, doing. Yeah. And so actually quite a lot of my my journey and sort of, I would say, improvement from being a young driver in single-seaters, uh, not getting the results all, always that I wanted and making a lot of mistakes to being an older driver in sports cars, 
often getting the results I wanted and making less mistakes is to, to silence the mind in many ways and, uh, and make sure that every time you get in a car, you are, you're really kind of psychologically ready to, to deliver at your, your best. Um, cause really there's not a lot between the lot of us yeah. in terms of our, our actual performance. And it's all about getting your mind and body ready to, to, to give the best result. I yeah. mean, just before we came on, I'm, was looking through the averages of uh, of Le Mans last year, and you know you're talking, let's say, um, ten professional drivers who may well be in a position to ask for a work seat, and they're all between, you know, they're all over an average of the race within seven tenths per lap, yeah, over a three and a half minute lap, yeah, you know, so it's really it's just it's just nothing. Yeah, it, it, that, that that was one of the things. Actually, when I was watching the Daytona five, uh, the uh, Daytona twenty four hours at the start of the year, and what really, and I, I've watched endurance racing for a while, but what really got me for some reason at that race was how close it still was between I think the top three, uh, the top three in the, in, in uh, the um, uh, DPI class uh, after you know eighteen hours or something like that, and I just thought, God, this is this is better than some F1 races that I've watched. Like, how is that possible? But also, and going back to last year in Le Mans with you, it was so close as well. You were on for the win at some points. You know, you, the two United cars were, were properly um, thrashing it out. And of course, you have all the unpredictability of, you know, longer pit stops and all this kind of thing. Is that what draws you to endurance racing? Is that one of the things that, that, that ticks your box? Because it, although it's 24 hours, six hours, whatever it may be, it's still so unpredictable somehow. I like the epicness of it. And and, yeah. and that's, you know, that how it's just, uh, I mean, the Nürburgring 24 hours is one that's even more kind of gives you even more that sense of kind of uh, adventure or con- conquest, if you like, you know, you're heading out around this great big track, you know, driving from one town in France to another town in France to another place, or, you know, you're driving from Adenauer out to wherever and back again, you know, and it's just, it gives you this sense of, uh, you know, overcoming the environment um, in in you and the car, kind of overcoming the environment against the competition, mm. which is what I really, which is what I really love about it. Um, which is why it makes me really sad when actually they start to say, "Oh, uh, that piece of racetrack, mm, it's a little bit difficult because everybody's running a bit wide there. Mm. Shall we add a bit of tarmac or?" That piece of curbing, that's a little bit bumpy, that piece of curbing. Should we flatten it off a bit? Yeah. Because it, it, for me, it should be you and the car against the elements in the circuit. It mm. shouldn't be, you know, you shouldn't be kind of flattening no. and, you know, and pasting over the bumps. It's, no. That's the point. The bumps are the point, right? You're, that's what you're overcoming. They're the challenge. Totally, yeah. totally agree. We, we, we used to have that debate um, really early on when we started this podcast with a few people about track limits and stuff and, and having a penalty for your errors. You know, that's why things like Monaco are so great. You know, you, you mess up at Monaco, your race is over. Even if you make a tiny little mistake, you're done. And it, I think a lot of tracks, it's just, some of the runoff areas, I mean, like in Abu Dhabi, I think the first, I think it's the first left Turn one in Abu Dhabi, Yasmaria Circuit. Mm. You can go so wide there, and and you know drive for go on a little country outing before you have to rejoin the track again. It's 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 crazy. Um, 
Let's talk 2013-14. Um, so you, you had, um, correct me if I'm wrong, um, a full season of WEC in 2013 and LMP2 again and came very close um, to top spot in the championship. That, that was a, a great year for you, but it must have been in equal, equal measures frustrating. Yeah, it was a brutal one. Uh, Bertrand Baguette managed to drive the sister car off the grass at the end at the end of the Le Mans 24 hours. So it, it, it rained. I mean, Le Mans 24 hours that year was was a tragic one. Alan Simonson yeah. uh, passed. It yeah. was just you know the, the the whole Aston Martin team were just you could just see it in their eyes. They were they were. Uh, yeah, ev- everything about the Le Mans was tough and tricky and difficult. The the weather, it was one of those races that has that horrible kind of sensation, that horrible feeling of, uh, you know, do we Dread really want to be here? And, yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, but then, you know, so so in late on in that race, our, our teammates managed to drive it off the grass and, and, and get it across the line for the win. And at that point, uh, Le Mans was a massive portion of the points of the, of the world championship so so we couldn't take so we couldn't take the win through the year I, I finished second twice at the Le Mans 24 hours that one I I think we could have won the other one I was just happy to be on the podium to be, to be <laughs> honest because we we'd had such a torrid race I don't know I don't know how we did um yeah it, it was it was frustrating um I think more frustrating was that, that sports cars is so cyclical and turbulent in terms of uh how many manufacturers there are how many jobs there are who's coming to race and and when and and actually off the back of you know i was 23 and off the back of giving those performances i you know i searched the whole marketplace and there was actually nowhere to go at that point and i and you think right i've done the job you know if you're if you're a cricketer playing England under 21 and you do the job, you know, you can look forward to potentially, you know, a spot, maybe a reserve spot, even in Mm. the main professional team. There was no main professional team at that point. And and that was, that's what was really tough. You you know, so you find yourself going snakes and ladders again, all the way back down to, to square one. Um, and have to do it all again the next year, and it was, uh, yeah, that was a that was a really difficult one to swallow, um, personally. A quick interruption to the show to remind you to check out our sponsor, F1 Experiences. F1 Experiences offer a wide range of packages that come direct from Formula One, giving you a unique experience of the pinnacle of motorsport. Official ticket packages come with the very best race tickets, first-class hotels and transfers, and unprecedented access, including driver appearances, private pit lane walks, behind-the-scenes tours of the illustrious F1 paddock, team garages, the famous podium, and loads more. It's the closest you can get to Formula One. And thanks to F1 Experiences, Motormouth listeners can save 5% on your next F1 Experiences package by using the code MOTORMOUTH when booking online at f1experiences.com. How do you keep yourself motivated with that kind of thing? I mean, I, I'd, only been, I'd only been going at it for one year. And so, you know, you, you push on. Um, I still had um, great support from Richard Mill. Um, who came with us to Le Mans the first time when re- really sponsored us to, to do Le Mans or sponsored me to do Le Mans, but when I was sharing with 
with dad and because it was an incredible story and because uh you know it, it was it was a, a moment for for them uh, but then stayed with me as I continued my racing career which is one of the things which has you know really changed my my career and my life um he, he's a passionate guy he's a great guy and he, he just loves motorsport and and has supported me since um and so I had another shot I had another shot at it um even though at that point, you know, sports cars were starting to ramp up in terms of the young driver's interest. And it was starting to become a lot more like a kind of a Formula Two where mm-hmm. drivers were coming, bringing big budgets and kind of squeezing, uh, squeezing others to, to, the, to the side a little bit. So, yeah, I, I struggled through the end of the year, 2013, to actually find, find a seat at that point, um, but managed to keep going with, with Ligier. Um, into the next year in, in Oak Racing. And next year was a lot of US racing. Um, how did you find that experience? And and are there differences between endurance racing in Europe and the US? Yeah, so, so the next year was an interesting one. I, basically, I, I cobbled together a deal to do all of the races that the main works driver, a guy called Olivier Pla, uh, who's an ex-Formula 2 Formula Two guy, uh, you know, very, very, very quick guy. Um, I cobbled together a deal to do all of the races that he couldn't do, plus some stuff in Europe, plus, and, and in order to pay for that, I did uh, a load of development of the next Ligier sports car, you know, up and down airfields and, and that kind of thing. Um, America was just... I think it's probably the best sports car racing I've ever done. Um, very political, very, really? very political, oh. you know, and we were there in a, you know, funny pink Ligier uh, racing Corvette. So it was, it was not always as straightforward as it might've <laughs> been, um, you know, and it was, it was an intro, but it was a really interesting year. It was a really interesting year. I learned a lot about myself. I won a pole award for putting our car on pole. And uh, got some some great results and some great podiums. Led Le Mans for hours on end with Jan Mardenborough, the, yeah. the game at a racer, and uh, and did the whole of that. But again, you know, we we got the results, got the pole positions, got to the end of the year, and got offered a con- uh, contract with an invoice attached to it. Uh, and I just. I kind of ran out. I kind of ran out of steam at that point. I, 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 kind of, I broke myself a little bit as well because <laughs> I used to fly from um, I'd fly from the UK to Charles de Gaulle, then Charles de Gaulle to America, then America to Charles de Gaulle because yeah. the team were handling the flights. I'd go. I, I did twenty five days development up and down an airfield in between the races as well, yeah. and uh, I actually I messed up. I messed up my the muscles in my stomach by being on economy plane, then in the car all day, then economy plane, then in the car all day. Oh my god! Driving between the airports. So that's that's why I was. If I was ever on. there was an excuse for first class, so that's the best one. Was <laughs> 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 it? Wasn't gonna. Wasn't gonna happen at the time. It's tough, wasn't isn't it? It's, it it's hard balancing that uh, US um, racing. I, Max Chilton did it, didn't he? What well, still still does to a point um, when he did Indy Lights and then Indy Car, and he was bouncing. He was living in the UK still is you know bounces around from the uk to the us there's so many flights something tells me he doesn't travel economy though but hey you know um but um yeah. your, your career kept on um improving and as you say you you learn and you learn and you took fast forwarding slightly elms 
2016 with United Auto Sports. Had a super successful year. Did some WEC rounds in there as well, taking wins. That must have been a, a great year for you. Yeah, it was awesome. Um, and the first year, I mean, United Autosports now in terms of LMP racing outside the manufacturer teams are it, you know. Um, but their their first ever prototype driver was me. And that's quite that's quite nice. I mean, Zach Brown and Richard took me off a year where I'd not really done anything just because I'd been uh, a little bit unwell for a while. And then I, I carried on through, um, but basically was ringing around, gave him a ring. Um, and, you know, from that year, from the, 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 the results that we gained with United Autosports, I, I, uh, I managed to get the end of the season with G drive, um, G drive racing. And then just with Rene Rast and Roman Rusinov, which was a, a tongue twister of a set of yeah. to explain. Uh, and we just, I mean, uh, the, it just worked, you know, motorsport giveth and motorsport taketh away just a year that where we just happened to be in the right place at the right time almost every weekend um and uh, really kind of kick kick started my career kind of back into life again in, in racing terms um and gave me another opportunity uh then um with the the dc racing um setup which was which was what came after it but uh yeah i mean to, to be winning races again in the European Le Mans series and, and heading uh, out to do a, a pretty much almost full World Endurance Championship campaign was uh, was just mega. Mm. And it's going, you, well, I suppose your career is really going from strength to strength now, but also so is the, the World Endurance Championship, actually, because I want to come on to, um, to what you're up to, obviously, for this year in a little bit. But just before we touch on that, the hypercars that oh, are coming out. So cool. What do you think of them? Because at first glances, they look awesome and they're inspiring a whole wave of manufacturers to join and return to, to endurance racing, which is a, an incredible thing. Yeah, I mean, the, what they've managed to do is make top-class endurance racing work with, a, with an element of hybrid at a sensible cost for manufacturers. And so... That's what the manufacturers asked for. And they've, you know, the ACO have delivered it. And so now, amazing. We've got loads and loads of manufacturers coming into the sport, which has just an awesome trickle-down effect on the whole sport. More manufacturers equals more viewers, equals more private teams, equals more young drivers wanting to move through the sport. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, Le Mans 2023 is going to be I believe one of the greatest sporting events there's ever been. Now I'm a bit biased, but you know, I, I think it's going to be just incredible. You know, Porsche, Ferrari, Audi, Peugeot, you know, all, all of those teams, Alpine potentially. And I don't think we've seen the last of the manufacturer yeah. announcements either. So, uh, and of course, Ferrari. Yeah. So it'll just, yeah. be, it'll just be great. Really exciting. Yeah. Um, is it time, Tim? I think it is time. So there comes a point in every show where uh, we have to pass our guest to uh, Mr. Harry Benjamin to introduce um, probably the highlight of your career, I would have thought. This is probably going to be up there. So, <laughs> okay. um, Harry, over to you to uh, introduce our illustrious quiz. Yes, Alex Brundle, welcome to Motormouths, the hardest quiz in motorsport because um, all the answers are based on Wikipedia, so we all know how reliable that is. Um, there are, it's a very competitive leaderboard, there are 14 points up for grabs 
but it varies because if I'm feeling sorry for you, I might just give you an extra point. Um, the bottom of the leaderboard is Karun Chantop with three and a half <laughs> points. The top... okay, well, he's the oracle on yeah, F1. So. Exactly. So, so that's how you know. Uh, the top of the leaderboard is Alexander Sims with 14 points. So, and then there's a whole wave of people in the middle. Uh, some big names in there on some pretty lowly points. Uh, Johnny Herber got eight uh, and down in 33rd position. So uh, this is the kind of quiz. Are you ready for your first question? I'm prepared. Okay. Yes. Alex, we talked about you racing in, uh, in GP3. Uh, but in your first GP3 race... Where did you finish? Tenth. Oh, bang. Oh, bang, he's it? got it. Spot on. What a strong start. That's three points in the bag. You did finish tenth. Well done. Okay, gets harder now. How many F1 teams did your dad race for? Eight. Oh, yes. <laughs> okay, okay. Fair enough. Now... Name them. Oh. Uh, <laughs> uh, Tyrrell, Zach Speed. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Jordan, Tyrrell, Zach, Jordan, Williams, yep. McLaren. Yeah. How many have you got? How's that? Benet five. Benetton. 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 Yeah. Fine. You can have that. <laughs> I think there's two, there's two more that you haven't said. Brabham. Yes. Yeah. Oh, three. Now two more. Tyrrell, Zach Speed, Jordan, Williams, McLaren, oh, Benetton, Brabham. One more, isn't it? One more. It's there's one more, yeah. One, there's one more. One more. Can you get it? One more. Oh, no, 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 no. no. Oh, he's so I, Googling. Look at him. He's getting he's on Googling. Googling. He's Googling. He's Googling. Oh, no, he's not. He's had it. Okay. I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna get. Right, you've got. You've got five seconds to try and try and get it. Five, four. I think we've even ne three, named named it. Two in our chat so far. One. Oh, I'm afraid the time's up, Alex. Uh, no. But I'm gonna give you. You've got. Oh, I mean, you've got seven it. out of eight. So I'm gonna give you two points out of three. It was Ligier. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Disappointing. Cool. Disappointing. That's really rubbish. Yeah, but I mean, you've already you've already smashed Karin Chandok out of the park. So uh... I've literally met I've literally met Guy Ligier, and he went, "I love it when your father used to drive for me." He's not going to be impressed by this. Uh, okay, right. Question four. Um, after karting, you stepped into T cars, which we discussed. We want to bring it back. We're on the mission for it. But what yeah. year did T cars cease to exist? Ah, uh, well, not long after I did it. Um, so, so such was my <laughs> such was my effect. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to say uh, 2008. Oh, oh so it was close. 2007. So close. Yeah. So close. So close. Okay, for a bonus point, who finished last in the 2020 Formula Two drivers standings? 2020 Formula 2 driver standings. Uh, who finished last? Um, it wasn't Sean Galeal. Because no. he was out for the whole year, but he got some points. Was it Giuliano Alessi? No. <laughs> Bad luck. It was Teo Porcher. 
Oh, of course, yeah, because you guessed it two races. You guessed those last two. That's a curveball. Yeah, it's a curveball. But you know, I'm going to go back to the 2007 question, the T cars. I'm going to give you one point for only being one one out. So I'm getting pity points. Yes, I'm getting pity points now because you were on such a good streak to begin with and then it just went downhill. Uh, But let me do the maths because that is the end of the quiz. Uh, One, two, three. Okay, I've done the maths. Um, We're not in double digits. Uh, (laughs) But it's a respectable nine points, which puts you just above Thierry Neville, Hmm. of course, World Rally star, and just below Freddie Hunt in 20... That's a, dangerous, that's a dangerous place to be. <laughs> that, is a dangerous, <laughs> that is a dangerous place to be. In 29th position. So, Alex yeah. Brundle, thank you very much for playing Motormouth. 29th! Oh, I mean, the leaderboard goes on for about 50, 50 people. Oh, okay. so I wish yeah. I had some toys so I could throw them out. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> Just start smashing shit up. Just grab those Perspex boxes <laughs> behind you. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, listen, before we come on to your commentary bits and pieces, let's chat about 2021. So, You've signed with the Polish team into Europol yes. competition. Um, yeah. h- how has this deal come about? Are you pleased with their choice of livery because you're wearing some very funky overalls? Um, <laughs> tell us more about this relationship. Yeah, it's bright stuff. They'll, they'll see us coming. <laughs> yeah. um, so we, we tried to sign together um, last year. Um, but uh, And then moving through, uh, it's, it's as a lot of these LMP2 teams are based around... Yeah, a family who want to race and, and have a team and, and a great business, um, business based in Poland, team now based in Poland. And you know what? They're, they're super excited. They're super committed and calm. And, uh, and I'm looking forward to the season ahead. Um, commercial forces, again, kind of took over with me at, at United Autosports as, you know, all of this hypercar stuff brings about a load yeah. more another load of Formula 2 drivers who want to come and do LMP2. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but, you know, they, uh, they're they really serious about it. They've taken on Rafael Pecora, who uh, engineered the number eight Toyota for the last six or so years, uh, and a great mechanical team, all from Orica HQ. Yeah. And uh, they're going at it with me and Renga van der Zander um, and, and Kuba Schmuchowski, who's our... Um, who's our uh, silver driver. And isn't um, Helio Castroneves involved somewhere along the line? Yeah, so Helio was for Sebring um, when there was going to be, because Renga is also driving for Ganassi, um, Chip Ganassi Racing in IMSA. And so Helio was going to jump in for Sebring when Renga was unavailable. However, uh, due to COVID-19, our calendars have moved around a little bit. So now it's going to be Renga throughout the whole year. But we've had Helio in the meetings, and actually, to be honest, he's he's already contributed to the program because of his experiences, yeah. like amazing Encyclopedia Britannica. It's unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> can you can you put any expectations on for this year, or is it just a case of you just got to get out and do the first runs and see see where you are? You know, they know so much about this car now because they've had so much regulation stability mm. that actually it's getting to the point where an Orica is an Orica, and actually we can providing we can get the car out on track and get the car delivering as it should be uh we're in the position to 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 win races i think by the end of the year with the driver lineup we have um certainly the environment comes with funding and funding's what you need yeah. once you have funding and you have knowledge and the right people in place then 
anything's possible. Um, so yeah, it's uh, I'm really looking forward to the year. We're dark horses. Well, we're not dark horses because we're 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 green and yellow, but we're <laughs> we're yeah, no, the, green and yellow in, horses. In figurative terms, we're dark horses. Yeah. Oh, and it'll be exciting to see how you get on for this year, uh, especially just just be good to get racing back up and running won't it in a more regular yeah, capacity sure. um but you you dovetail both sides of of the race track you're behind the wheel and you're also behind the mic um so a bit of commentary last year for you f2 f3 f1 tv talk to us about you know getting behind the mic for the very first time was there a thought in your head being like oh god i'm doing the same thing my dad's doing <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's weird because I've actually been doing it for years, but it's just been very, very low key. So okay. I, I called I called endurance racing for uh, an organisation called Radio Le Mans. Yeah. Um, for oh, when was my first one? Must have been sort of 2013, 2014 time. And I've been on and off. I, I did a just after I finished GP3. I did a couple of guest races with Will Buxton in the box. Uh, as well so i've actually been sort of burbling in the way in the background doing a little bit of commentary since then uh, but obviously then you kind of arrive on the scene and just like with all of these things uh, you arrive on the scene and people go well what's it like you know just starting out with commentary and you don't know whether to go great or to go actually actually i've been practicing for a long time or whether to do or whether to just or whether to just go brilliant you know, yeah. I, uh, it, was, it was hard for the first three words, but then after that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm a natural, what can I say? Yeah, to, <laughs> to it like a duck to water. But you, you, and, you and Alex have built up a really good rapport and, and relationship. And as we know, you know, for anyone that is on Twitter, um, race fans... I say race fans loosely on Twitter, are very picky about commentators and commentary. Have you felt any of that pressure as you've been going through this process? They are, but actually, I, I really, um, I've been so pleasantly surprised personally because what I absolutely expected when I set foot into the commentary box were, you know, just an avalanche of of nepotism comments and an avalanche of oh, I see your dad's got you a job, yeah. and, which is you know actually broadly not the case in many ways. I, I work for a different. Um, I work for a totally different company. I work for Formula One. Dad works for Sky. Has no jurisdiction. And even you know, even in your own business, to walk in for a business you work for and go employ my son. Yeah. If you think about it in real terms, it's not really that feasible. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> I get it. I get that the optics are are in that direction. And so, but actually, I've I've really not had that. And people people give you a chance. They really do give you a chance. If they mess it up, if you messed it up, they tell you. And you have to be very, you have to, you know, be very prepared for not everybody to like what you do and to to receive criticism in, in a professional manner. Uh, you guys must have a, a, a really, you know, a similar thing or anybody in, in media does. Um, but I've been so pleasantly surprised by um, the audience's desire to give me a shot before they start loading on me too much which I, I haven't had i've had broadly pleasant comments from everybody which has been which has been lovely and and i suppose actually it's because you know you, you work for f1 not sky it's it's arguably a, a perhaps a, a smaller but more engaged audience so people are i often find that the people who actually make the complaints the people who are probably you're, you're just people aren't who, who, who almost like passerbys if that makes sense do, do you think that's the case Certainly, our, our audience is yeah 
they're, they're the kind of people where if if you didn't exactly say it properly, they know what you mean. Mm, as opposed right. to as opposed to the people who are like, you're just talking nonsense. Yeah. What are you? Yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I certainly think you, as you go to a bigger audience, then tastes vary more, and that's the real challenge of it. And that's when you know I think I have certainly still a lot to learn as a broadcaster rather than somebody who analyzes motorsport in that capacity um, to be able to, to talk. Uh, simultaneously to to kind of my audience now who when i say you know the the drive shaft is broken and so he won't be getting any more you know and so the, the it's revving all the way through and he won't be making it back to the pits know what i mean and also the audience who who if you uh if you just came out with something like that you'd have to explain what a drive shaft was why it was revving yeah. all the way through and why that means he won't make it back to the pits, you know, and, and it's those, it is that group who you really have to bring along with you, I guess. Yeah. And it must be comforting to have someone like Alex next to you or whoever it is that you're in the commentary box with. I mean, he's, he's obviously a rising star and, and will go on to, to huge things. Um, but you know, as, as we know, Harry and I, you know, if, if you take one of us away, the job instantly becomes a little bit more challenging and you know, where there's a pause or a gap, you can fill that or someone can fill that. It, it must be nice to be not learning your trade because you say you've done it for many years but um developing alongside someone like him i mean him jack nichols they are genius i don't know how they do it and i've you know and i've got no intention to ever color commentate a broadcast of uh of uh you know of motorsport or any other sport because you look across the box and it just the level of information that they that they process in order for me to just drop in and you know analyze a bit of data mm. or drop in a pithy comment yeah it's just you know it's a it's a complete career and it's so far removed from what i do on my side of the box that it's uh, that it's a different sport you know people that assume that kind of coming from uh, coming from the technical commentary side of the box and just jumping across into the color side is like the next logical step i mean yeah no way no chance you know um so yeah it, it's brilliant to have somebody who is in control of the broadcast makes you look better and indeed if you're somebody who always has something to say to give them a bit of a break to recapture control of the broadcast then they really appreciate you as well yeah. it's, it's such a partnership what about that um Obviously, your your dad has got some classic moments of walking up and down the uh, the starting grid in F one. Have you experienced that side of things? Does, does that part of it appeal to you? It, it does. Um, well, uh, the the period of time where I've actually been covering F one or or F two has all been COVID related. So actually, I've barely been to the racetrack. Yeah. I, I rely on uh, we get a massive feed of data in to uh, uh, we're in Biggin Hill. Um, to avoid any to avoid any doubts we are in we're in kent and uh and we're, we're sat in a studio but we get a massive feed of data in and i work pretty much universally from the data plus you know social media discussions with all of the various drivers i know lucky enough to still know a lot of them because they're kind of my contemporaries um but yeah I've, I've never done too much of that it definitely does appeal um and i think there's a certain point where you have to make your presence in the paddock felt and build your contacts to try to 
if you're going to go and do that to try to offer the audience more than mm. they can get by just watching all of the feeds and reading all of the information that comes out of uh, a Formula One weekend. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Did, did you, um, when you first started all those years ago, um, did, <laughs> did, your, did your dad give you any tidbits or any bits of advice or was it just sort of get, let you get on with it? Well, I mean, for for the stuff I was doing from 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 kind of a, a little while a little while back, it's been very bitty, you know. It's been kind of like every year or so, you know, Eve at Radio Le Mans would ring me up and go like, "Do you fancy calling the six hours of Fuji?" Yeah, okay. yeah. we've got nobody else to do it. Um, for this, not so much. But then I would say, Jake's he's been a big help. Um, he he knows exactly how he wants the broadcast to run. Um, the team at F1 have been a big help and then all of your producers. I mean, you're never short of advice. Yeah. You're never short of advice on, on, on how to do it because, you know, there are so many experienced people in TV, uh, particularly working in environments like F1 or, or Sky, um, that can, that can really help you to grow your, you know, grow your understanding. Um, yes, I do lean on that occasionally, uh, you know, I ring him up more for kind of, what do you think is going to happen in this scenario kind of idea to direct uh, more, more sharing of information, you know, do you think this driver is going to go to this place and, or do you think this session is going to be stopped because of this? You know, we, we get in a situation where, you know, I have a lot of data. I'm in the combox all day. Dad has a lot of on the ground presence. He's in the, you know, he's there all day at the racetrack and can, you know, I, I sent him a text in the middle of this year. Is it raining? <laughs> Cause yeah, you got, how you know? Yeah. I'm not there. Yeah. I'm not there. And I can't tell, I can't tell on the, so I literally, I picked up my iPhone. I opened up iMessage and I just sent him a voice. Is it raining? <laughs> yeah. And he just sent me one. Yes. Yes. yes all right, it is, thank so. you. It's funny. And so then, yeah. <laughs> so, 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 I, so then I, so then I, I just go off air, ask him if it's raining. He tells me it's raining. I go, it's raining in turn four. Yeah. There's a there's a value in having him as yeah, um, yeah. it helps. It's funny though because you can definitely hear him in you. Like you know, just chatting to you now, and I'm sure you're very aware of it. You do share a lot of similarities in your voice. You know that you have your own unique style, of course. But you can, if you didn't know that he was your dad after listening to you for an hour or so, you you know you can you can hear it. Um, let, let's talk about, quickly about F2. Um, Mick Schumacher um, coming into F1. Yeah. Um, obviously coming in as, as champion. How, how highly do you rate him and, and what sort of impact do you think he can have on the sport? I think he's going to have a positive impact on the sport generally. And, and I do really rate Nick. Um, he made a couple of errors at the start of the year, um, but then suddenly just completely got his head together and just became Mr. Consistent all the way through to the end of the year. But he wasn't one of these Mr. Consistents that never shows pace either, you know, uh, delivered in qualifying, when he had to, struggled a bit, I would say, slightly in the biggest pressure moment, but had the kind of, had enough ability, had enough skill behind him to, to recover it um, and, and just didn't fall apart in the final races, which I think is a really telling thing. But when you're going to jump into that big stage, um, you know, earlier on, in, earlier on in his career, they really protected him from kind of the limelight, which was an incredibly intelligent thing yeah. to do. He moved into Formula 2. He's going to get yet another stage of limelight now he moves into Formula 1. And we're going to find out, really, if he's psychologically prepared for that. He certainly 
physically prepared. I mean, he's the fitness of the guy is clear to see. Um, And he certainly has the ability. The only thing that will prevent Nick now uh, from achieving what he wants to in Formula One is just the load of pressure, which is going to, which is going to fall on him. That's a good point. Because could you argue that perhaps for this first year, the pressure might be slightly lessened. I'm not going to say off, but because Haas have just come out and said, you know, they're, going, they're not developing their car past pre-season testing. It's probably not going to be dramatic improvement from last year. And Haas, you know, they, they could only score a point if, you know, all things went terribly wrong for other people. So do you think with that in mind, for this first year, at least the pressure is slightly lessened? Or do you think that doesn't matter? He's still got to be on his own game and, you know, he's got to finish 15th as long as his teammate is behind him. I think the concept that you can ever cruise in F1 is a bit unrealistic, but mm. I think that at the same time, you know, you've always got your teammate across the box. There may well be other teams that get their upgrade tokens or their, that get the, the change in the aerodynamic package through into next year ludicrously wrong and end up behind us, you know, so to predict the, to predict the way that it's going to play out is always difficult. Um, People know, and Ferrari will be continually evaluating his performance, of course, in that Haas car. There's always, there's always pressure. Yeah, is he fighting at the front? No. Will he have to fight all year? Yes. And certainly on that day, that one day where it's raining sideways and 10 cars have fallen off and Haas, Haas might get a chance to get one point, a couple of points, it needs to be him and not Mazepin, or it needs to be him and not someone from another team from, yeah. from his perspective. Yeah. Uh, so in that case, you know, we F2 has lost to F1, I suppose. Schumacher, uh, well, and Eilat's gone off. He's doing some sports car stuff and testing. Uh, Sunoda's moved on, Mazepin. So who's next? Who have you got your eye on? Uh, I, I've got my eye on uh, Felipe Drogovic. I think it's going to be very strong. Schwartzman stays on again mm. uh, and will be, will be very strong this year. I mean, uh, Prema... ART had a bit of a struggle last year, uh, and, and I think we'll get their heads together. But, you know, uh, Piastri moving through is going to be an interesting one um, for for his first year in Formula 2. I mean, it's, it's hard to predict, isn't it, how they're going to... Because it's, I can tell you it's such a different type of car. Uh, the driving technique is just well to par you know you've got a f3 car which is all about u-shape what we would call u-shape so taking the minimum speed out of the car with a brake pedal and then an f2 which is just a completely v car you get in turn the car and you get out because you've got all that power to get you uh to get you back up to speed um so it's going to be interesting to see how the rookies do but yeah i mean anybody who's who's won races last year you know felipe uh, drogovic or or those kind of guys moving through into their second year of Formula 2 racing, it's a must-win scenario. Mm. You know? do, do you think another thing to, to worry about, I suppose, as a driver is is obviously the calendar's sort of shifted a bit this year. There's there's less and more gaps. Is that there was that that was a big issue coming into Bahrain, wasn't it, actually last year, because they had so much time off. Do you think that's going to play even more of a of a, an issue this season? It's going to be strategically very difficult as well because you're having you know two sprint races and a feature with an mm. interesting grid rotation set up between the two sprint races. Uh, drivers have been saying to me, I don't know whether it's better to qualify 10th or 1st. Should we try to qualify 10th? We're, we're a bit, 
we're a bit lost strategically in the next in the next phase of Formula Two, um, and so that can play into it. Yes, certainly. You know, it, it's it's something where drivers are also going to have to be quarantining for the first part of the year. It's going to be a difficult. It's going to be difficult to get to the races. It's going to be difficult to test. I mean, for example, we've just lost the first Formula Three test in Barcelona. That's been postponed. Mm. If that then doesn't happen, or or in Formula Two, then they're, they're not able to get a test. Then uh, you know, all of a sudden, the rookies lose the only period of time they have to get up to speed with these cars. So yeah, it can be a mixed up year for everybody. Now um, we're we're we've quickly taken up an hour of your time. It's shot by. God, so we have, haven't we? I know it's nuts. So we're going to move on to. Um, well, I want to get your opinion on, on Formula One, but we're going to we're going to skip through and come on to, to a few questions just to get to know you a little better. Um, <laughs> uh, we've already discovered who your best mate is in racing. You mentioned that earlier in, in T cars, um, but I want to know what you're absolutely useless at. What's what do you totally crap at? What am I? absolutely terrible i can't park what i, ca- I cannot park <laughs> my family ripped me to pieces can you reverse uh, my, par- can you what, reverse any kind of parking i can't i can't parallel park yeah so, so my dad ripped me to pieces. <laughs> he said i've seen you gap traffic <laughs> like this you know and, and i can't maneuver unless i'm going fast I uh, just <laughs> just floor it when you reverse when you parallel park. Just slam your foot on the throttle. So I have six goes at getting into a garage. Let's say. <laughs> Has that ever presented any awkward moments in your racing career? Like you you, you come really into awkward, yeah. Park Ferme and you just start crashing into marshals. Uh, park Park Ferme is okay because you can blame it on the lack of luck. Yeah. So you can you can do that. Yeah, there yeah. there are periods of time. There are times when I've. Um, you know, so you'll be in a minivan. So say you've arrived in wherever.com and your 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 team are with you because you tend to fly together and you're the driver. So you'll get chucked in the front of the minivan and you know, take the team to the hotel. You get to the hotel and there's only on-street parking. Oh, nightmare. So, so you get to a point, yeah. Well, in that case, we found out what you're awful at. And then obviously aside from, you know, racing and broadcasting, what, are you brilliant at? Do you have like a hidden talent that we might not know about? I can I can play the drums. No, oh. uh, yeah, I wouldn't. We'll I wouldn't that. claim to. I wouldn't claim to be. I wouldn't claim to be brilliant at it. Um, I was going to drama school, which my my previous engineers won't find surprising at all. But I, I yeah, I was going. I was going no to way. Yeah, yeah. I, I genuinely, I genuinely considered that um, at while I was. At school, I did all the preliminary qualifications for for to, to for Lambda um, and that kind of thing. So I did I did a lot of that, like uh, kind of studio performances on on stage. And well, Alex, I hate to trump you here, but you are speaking to somebody who trained at Rada. Uh, um, I was waiting. So, uh, I was, uh, I was <laughs> waiting. I nearly said, "Come on, Harry, get it over and done with it." <laughs> Itching to say you went to Rada, aren't you? Uh, you don't get you don't get that often on. A, you can't say that on a motorsport podcast very often. Exactly. So <laughs> those two worlds very rarely collide. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, that's fascinating. Well, I'll tell you that. Yeah, a bit. Of, yeah, we'll take the acting, drumming. Uh, we got we like the creative yeah. sides. Um, Tim, you love this next one, though, don't you? I do, and I'm <clears throat> I'm not going to give you any kind of intro to it. I'm just going to ask it and see where it lands. Feathers or scales? What would you rather? Feathers. For what reason? Because it presents because it presents opportunity. Because correctly arranged, you might be able to fly. Yes, Whereas scales it. don't give you 
any any well, incremental of you could be a, a very fast swimmer the scales you help you go be. faster you could be. i don't know but i like the way that you've you've specified if the feathers were arranged properly then yeah, the, well, so, yeah. So there's a bit of there's a bit of a, bit of effort required from you, but yeah. all good things all good <laughs> things need that. That's you know. So I'm yeah. prepared that you're in the middle. Basically, okay. is what I'm saying. I, I like I. That's a very good answer. I like that. <laughs> Hell of an opportunity. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, Alex, look, we've taken up far too much of your time. We end all of our shows with our final three questions, which we ask to every single guest, uh, and we just like to do a, a direct comparison, really. Um, so, Tim, do you want to kick off? Mm, sure. Um, what's got you excited at this very moment in time? Uh, I'm about to have lunch. Oh, what are you having? So that's, I don't know. That's why I'm excited. <laughs> the, the possibilities are endless. <laughs> I'm going to go baked beans on toast for what it's worth, which I, I'm, big, I'm a big fan of. Great shout. Yeah, but I, and I, have I hate beans. Shout. What are you talking about? You hate beans. Everyone loves beans. Alex, how much of your success is down to luck? and right place, right time, and then how much is down to sheer hard work? Yeah, you're, you're perceiving that I'm successful there, which is very kind <laughs> of you. Um, you're, on, you're on the Motor Mouth podcast. We wouldn't uh, be calling you otherwise. <laughs> 90% luck, 10% effort. It's very modest of you. Um, final question for you. What are you scared of? I'm afraid of falling off the balcony of my flat. Is it quite I a large drop? I genuinely, it's quite, it's a reasonable drop. <laughs> and I, I genuinely consider it sat there. And I don't know why. Because uh, I'm never going to yeah. jump off the balcony of my flat. And I'm, no, I'm not, I don't, there's nothing out there to trip over. But it has like, a, it has a glass, has like a glass front. So you can see the potential. Yeah. Do you see yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Totally. If you ever get and into so it it, any, like, any kind of brawl... Uh, exactly. <laughs> There'll be no... There's, it's, it's an argument-free zone. There's no, there's no brawling on the balcony. Sure. No brawling on the balcony. I think that's, yeah. You need a sign for that just, just definitely, outside. Definitely, yeah. Definitely. Um, well, look, Alex Brundle, thank you so much for coming on to the Motor Mouth Podcast. It's been great to chat to you about your career, what's up next for you in endurance racing, and, of course, uh, your thoughts on, on Formula 2, Formula 1, Formula 3. We hopefully will see you doing some more commentary this year as well, whenever that gets back up and running, uh, alongside your racing as well. Alex Brundle, thank you so much for coming on to the Motor Mouth Podcast. Thanks, guys. Great to chat to you. Before you go, one final reminder to check out F1 Experiences, the official experience, hospitality and travel program of Formula One. F1 Experiences is the closest you can get to the sport. Official ticket packages, which include the best race tickets, first class hotels, travel and exclusive behind the scenes access across a Grand Prix weekend. F1 Experiences offer packages like no other. So to book your F1 Experiences package today, head online to f1experiences.com and if if you enter code MOTORMOUTH, you'll get 5% off too. Now, if you're a really lovely person and fancy supporting the podcast further, just head over to Patreon or the link is in the podcast description. We've got some great goodies and bonus content to give you if you sign up. Just search MOTORMOUTH official on Patreon and there are three levels of membership to choose from. Thank you so much for listening to the MOTORMOUTH podcast. Do make sure you give us a follow on our socials, Twitter at MOTORMOUTH underscore, Instagram at MOTORMOUTH underscore official and Facebook just search 
search Motormouth. You can also download the Motormouth app where you can get exclusive video content from MMTV, create your own social profile to interact with other fans and check up on all the latest happenings with whatever motorsport takes your fancy. We're also proud to be supporting the Brain Tumor Charity too, so make sure you check the links in the podcast description to find out how you can help cure brain tumors quicker. Don't forget to like, subscribe and review. And until next time, you've been listening to the Motormouth Podcast.